we have a thing that we call ECC mail here at our church. And uh, this week, if you received the ECC mail and opened it and read it, uh, you received an email that was probably as hard to receive as it was for us to write. And today, in the midst of a lot of the joy that we have with the auction and with the babies, uh, it's also a really difficult Sunday. And you're probably going to, as you walk around, you'll see some tears. You'll see a lot of dark circles under some of our eyes um, because of the subject of the, the email. On November 1st, way back in 2011, our church was in a really tough transition. And um, someone that stepped up to help our church through that transition was Jill Erickson. And as I wrote my email yesterday, I'll, I'll say again what I said then. We are so, so, so thankful, Jill, um, that you stepped in. And week after week after week after week for year after year after year, you have been so faithful to our church. And you have, every week, you've brought yourself and you've brought passion and you've brought great leadership to us as our worship arts director. And that's why it was so hard for us to receive the email and the announcement that Jill's going to be stepping down as our worship director um, at the end of the month this, uh, this May. It was important to Jill and to all of us that, you know, today we really... It's a, as a worship service that we keep the focus on Christ. But it would just feel wrong to not pause and to say, Jill, thank you for the leadership you've shown and bringing your gifts to us. And we thank you for the way you've cared for our church family and the legacy that you've left here with us. And in the weeks ahead, as a church, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about next steps and we'll sort all that out. But before we go further today, I thought it was important that we hit pause, that we affirmed um, this moment. We gave it the dignity that it deserves. And again, say that we're so thankful that you answered our distress call, and you did so much more than that. You've brought us to a whole new place, and we're so thankful, Jill. So thank you. Thank you so much. Well, this week, um, while this was unfolding, towards the end of the week, I was up in Duluth with my wife. Uh, our, we're part of what's called the Covenant Denomination. They have their conference annual meeting once a year and it was happening this weekend and so we're up in Duluth and we're saying okay how in the world you know do, what do we say and, and how do we how do how do we do all this because it's going to be so hard it's going to be so hard for everyone and the thought that that occurred to me as I was saying it was so hard was I hope it is always hard for us to say goodbye when a member leaves Regardless of position, regardless of, 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 of what, I hope that we get to a place more and more and more, and many of us are so many already there, where it's always hard to say goodbye to a member of our church family. You know, when I think of Jesus um, and the church that he envisioned, he said more than anything else, more than any other commandment, what's most important is that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you love who else? You know, love one another. Love one another. That's the church that he in, in, in envisioned, and that makes for a beautiful mess, doesn't it? Makes for a beautiful mess. Because as we continue to grow, and when I say grow, I say grow in all the ways. Deeper in relationship with God and one another, and as we continue to invite more people into this family, we're going to have days like today where we're going to go from rejoicing with those who rejoice 
to mourning and grieving with those who grieve. And I look out today and we, we, we have a great cause to rejoice because so many of you stepped up for this auction. It is, just blows me away. This is the first time we've done an auction like this. I don't know why I'm surprised because you always step up. Bob was just telling me today too with the van. We found a van and of course there's a God story with the van for the children's home. We rejoice in that. We rejoice in Kedah and Jonah coming into the world. We rejoice with these new groups that we're going to be launching this summer. And we grieve. The loss of a worship director and a friend. So again, welcome to the church of Jesus Christ. Welcome to our beautiful mess. The idea that a church could be like this. Even the idea that a church should have relationships like these is so foreign to so many people in the West. And I don't know a single church that advertises this, but there's almost an unspoken expectation by a lot of people that, that church is a place where you come and you hear a message that hits you where you're at, that you engage in singing along with songs that you love, and then you have programs that work for you. Is that the church that Jesus envisioned? He envisioned something so much, much more and different than that. And it's um, interesting. I didn't plan to start this series when this auction was going to launch. But it's interesting that all this came together because the first time I was really, my, the light bulb started to come off in my head that that is what church could be like, like a family was actually in Juarez, Mexico. You know, I had this opportunity as a teenager to go to Emmanuel Children's Home in Juarez and, and learn more about this place and how there, it started um, with this woman who was on a hill, a garbage dump, and there were these kids whose parents were trying to find work. And so she would literally invite these kids into her home. And she would love these kids like they were her own while the parents were trying to work. And then there was a man named Josue Lopez. And Josue with another guy, founded a ministry, a mission, a children's home on that site. And then over the course of years, they welcomed in hundreds of kids like they were Josue's own kids. And they loved them, and they clothed them, and they cared for them, and they gave them an education like they were their own family. And along the way, they introduced these kids to the Heavenly Father that Josue had and that they shared and his son, Jesus Christ. It was a family. And even more than that, that's where I first heard people sincerely using the term brother and sister. I'd never been called Brother Chris before. It was just weird. Brother Chris, Brother Chris. And it's different, a little bit different now because it's become more westernized. And but back in the day, that's how they would refer to the Christians. Brother, sister. And it was sincere. And if you go to a lot of places around the world, that's how Christians refer to one another. You're my brother. You're my sister. And it certainly was true there. And we can attest to this. I mean, their casa is our casa. And we sit around their table and we share meals. And we laugh together and we cry together and we play together. We work side by side. We worship the same God. And today we're launching a brand new series called Welcome Home. Where we want to press into this vision that Jesus had for his church. This idea of a family 
that welcomes people home. If you'd be so kind to take out this uh, note page, I would encourage you to write this down, um, not just because it has something to do with the series, but because this is the church. And I encourage you to write these words. The church of Jesus Christ is a family that welcomes people home. And I want to begin this series by looking at where, where do we even get this metaphor? Why do we say that the church of Jesus is a family welcoming people home? Where do we get this imagery? We get it from Jesus. There's four narratives of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Guess where we can find this metaphor of family? In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's something that we get from Jesus himself. So let's look at it uh, briefly with the time we've got here at each of the at examples from each. And we'll start with Matthew. If you have your Bibles, let's look at Matthew 28, 19 through 20, and you'll see Jesus using this language of family, of father and son. I want to let you know, too, as we're opening up the Bibles here, we would love to give you one as a gift today. That's one of the things we do. So no auctions or any of that with the Bibles. Just, uh, just please please take one as, a, as an absolute gift. All right, Jesus says... Here, it's, um, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. There's that family language. And of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. If you've ever heard Christians talk about the Great Commission, this is what they're talking about. This is the the section of the scripture that's referred to as the Great Commission. The Great Commission that Jesus gives his disciples, interestingly enough, contains a very unconventional approach to disciple making. And I say that because Jesus was considered a rabbi. And what a rabbi would do, if you or I were a rabbi, we would make disciples of who? Ourselves. That's what rabbis did, right? Rabbis made disciples of themselves. Jesus is saying, go and make disciples, not of yourself, but of who? Of Jesus. Go and make disciples of me, Jesus said, not of yourselves. And that's one of the reasons we're trying with our language as a church to use the name that God gave us, Emmanuel, more and more. There's nothing wrong with using the term ECC. There's nothing wrong. We do that still, you know, from time to time. And and there's nothing wrong with that. You'll hear me say it from time to time. But we're trying to be conscious of using the name that God gave us, Emmanuel, more and more and more, precisely because of this thing we're talking about right now. Because we don't want to make fans of ECC. That's not our goal. We don't want to make disciples of ourselves. We want this to be about Emmanuel, about God with us. We want to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to invite people into the family of God, first and foremost, above all other families. We want, we want to invite people to join Christ in his mission. And if they want to be a part of this local version of that, great. We would love that. But more than anything, we want to invite people to join Christ in his mission. So don't ever feel bad about using ECC. You'll hear me use it too. But more and more, let's use the word, the name Emmanuel, because that's what we want to invite God or people into. All right, so there's an example from Matthew. Let's look at examples now from Mark and Luke. We'll start with Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. So not only does Jesus say, God is my father. He doesn't just refer to himself as his son. Look what else he says. Mark chapter 3, 31 through 35. And Jesus' mother and his brothers came to Jesus. They were standing outside this crowded building, this house. And they sent to him and they called to Jesus. And a crowd was sitting around Jesus. And the crowd said to Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. They're seeking you. And Jesus answered them, who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? Who's my mother? 
And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here is my mother, my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Why do my friends in Mexico use brother and sister? Because who used it? Jesus. He said, if you do the will of my father, you're my brother. You're my sister. Here's how Luke words a parallel account. This is from Luke chapter 8, 19 through 21. Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him. They could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, hey, your mother and brothers are standing outside. They desire to see you. And Jesus answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So here again, Jesus refers to his disciples. Those who hear the word of God and they do it as his brothers, his sisters. So we've got Matthew, we've got Mark, we've got Luke. What comes next? Anyone know? John. Here's what John says. He uses it too. He uses the family metaphor. Picking up, uh, this is chapter 1. This is a, John is establishing his gospel. John chapter 1, starting with verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. There's that family. Again, family language. Who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And again, we always have people here that are new to Christianity. If you've ever heard the phrase, Receive Christ. This is where that comes from. To receive Christ. When you receive Christ, you set out to learn his ways. You want to honor his name. When you receive Christ, you commit to do your best to follow his commandments through the power of the Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ, you consciously begin now to align your life around the word of God. When you receive Christ, you become his disciple. And when you become his disciple, what do we become? As disciples, we become brothers and sisters. Of all who do the same. Well, the Apostle Paul, also through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he elaborates on this family theme in several places. We only have time to look at an example from Romans. And this is um, interesting. We, a couple years ago, we spent seven weeks in the book of Romans. And I don't think even once we even got to this. There's so much in Romans. I think there was a church someone was telling me it was like seven years they spent in Romans or something like that. It was crazy. We spent seven weeks and we never talked about all of the family language, I don't think. That's in Romans. And I'm going to show you a passage right here that doesn't just have the family language, but it flows from what we just talked about. We talked about receiving Christ. So we talked about receiving Christ. Now we're going to be looking at what Paul says happens in us as we receive Christ sincerely. And you're going to see there's family language that's woven into this. Fascinating. This is Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 1. This is from a real first century letter that a man named Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Remember, it was to Rome, too. We'll we'll talk about why in a second. All right, Paul writes, There is therefore, when you receive Christ, this is beautiful, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. But sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So then, brothers, sisters, we are debtors. Remember that language. We're debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Now, I want to hit pause just briefly here. We could spend a month talking about this term flesh because it's fascinating how the scriptures understand flesh and matter differently than the world around them, the people that came before, the people of the time, the people afterwards. Because there were a whole lot of folks who said flesh is evil. Matter is evil. The spirit is not evil. The scriptures are much more nuanced than this. Flesh isn't evil because if we would have kept reading even in the John account, in 1 John chapter 1, I believe verse 14, it says that Christ came in the flesh. Right? So flesh can't be evil. But the problem with our fleshiness is that we're weak, we're mortal, we're subject to temptations, we, we can be misled, we can have all these selfish motives, we can have all of these problems with our flesh, which then you start connecting all the dots we've been talking about here, it starts to make sense. Jesus has to obey my commandments because we need something outside of ourselves to align to. He says more than that, I want to send the helper, I want to send the Holy Spirit who can help guide you and empower you to walk in my ways. I want to send you this helper. And look at as now Paul says more about the helper, about the spirit. Notice how the family language reappears again. Picking up with verse 13, Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the spirit, the helper, you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For all who are led by the spirit of God, they are Sons of God, daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There's a lot here. One of the directions we could go with this is to show how what is happening here is what was happening in the Old Testament too. There's all this imagery that overlaps. Consider what we just read and be reminded that in the Old Testament, God called the nation of Israel his sons and his children. And he redeemed them from slavery, which we just saw in this passage. God led them. Here we talk about being led by the Spirit. He led the children of Israel through the wilderness of sin. And as God led them forward, it talked about falling back. The children often fell back in fear. The language, the reason I'm pointing this out right now when, when our time is so limited is there's a reason we say read the whole scripture. Because when you don't read the whole scripture, it's like going to an orchestra and just, oh, we'll leave out the percussion or we'll leave out the winds. You know, it, it all adds to the richness of, 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 it, of it all. All right, but the thing I want to focus on is this, this family metaphor. And then and when Paul says here about adoption, adoption, Adoption can be such a beautiful thing. I got two sisters from Korea. And what's especially profound about this is where was Paul writing to Christians who lived in Rome? Take a look at this. This is something I came across as I was doing my research this week. Look, look at what I found out about Roman adoption. And think about the language that is being used here. And think about those of you who know the, the gospel. This, is, this blows me away. Roman adoption which could take place at any age, canceled previous debts 
and relationships. It defined a new son, wholly in terms of his new relationship with his father, whose heir he just became. Are you kidding me? That's the gospel. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Roman adoption. Powerful. Let me read that one more time. This is Roman adoption, which could, let me say, you know what? I didn't do this the first service. The gospel of Jesus Christ can take place at any age. It'll cancel all previous debts and relationships. When you're born again, you are defined as a new son or daughter, holy in terms of the new creation with your father, whose heir you now become. Wow. This is true. If God would do this for us, how can we not welcome people home? You know, earlier we read that we can cry out. We can even cry out, Abba, Father. And this is another one of those things. Christians, we fight over stupid stuff. And there's actually arguments happening. How do you define Father or Abba correctly? I'm not making this up. There are people, they draw lines in the sand. And they say, you have to, here's how you define Abba. It's Daddy. And some people say, that's how you have to define it. There's others that say, no, that's disrespectful. It is not daddy, it is father. Well, it's a hard word to translate. If I'm not a linguist, but my understanding, it's not Greek. It's not Latin. It's not Hebrew. It's Aramaic. Well, why would Paul use an Aramaic word? He uses the word Abba because who used it first? Jesus used it. And one of the reasons why it appears is that it's so hard to define is we don't have a word that really does it in English. Because in Aramaic, the first word out of a child's mouth is what? It's Abba. Does it mean daddy? Yeah, in a profound way. And when you were an adult in Aramaic, you could also use the word Abba as a term of affectionate respect. Put that together. What a profound thing that we can cry, Abba, Father. How beautiful is that? It takes both of those wonderful, intimate, profound ideas, and we can do that with God when we're adopted as his sons and daughters. That is beautiful. Paul doesn't stop there. He continues. Verse 16, back to to what Paul was writing to the Romans. He said, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So again, I ask my brothers and sisters who are gathered in this room, if we are invited into a relationship like this, how can we not welcome others into it? Jesus shattered many of the paradigms of his day when he said that your primary family Your primary family are your Christian brothers and sisters. Here's some research I I gave about this. I found this quote. Thinking of one's co-religious, this is again back in Jesus' day, as brothers and sisters was common. Respecting other persons as mothers and fathers, it was also widespread. But allowing the ties in the religious community to take precedence over family ties, it was unheard of in Judaism. Unless someone converted. You didn't hear of that. So that was Jesus' day. 
You know, in our Western thinking that we don't go there, most of us, because we're like, oh, see you in Thanksgiving. That would not have been something that first century Jews would have said. They would not have said, see you at Thanksgiving. In our culture, think how scandalous and crazy it would be if we really acted like this is primary. Our Christian brothers and sisters, out of all the associations we have, all the alumni organizations, all the teams we're a part of, everything, if it comes down to it, this is first. That would look different in our culture. That would look really different in our culture. Several weeks ago, before I had really put much of any thought into this message, I wrote something down on a post-it, and I had forgotten about it totally, but I came across it this week. Here's what I wrote on my post-it. What if our neighbors noticed that this person is different in a lot of good ways? And then what if they noticed when we get together, those people are different in a really good way? And what if as they got to know us, it wasn't just lip service, but they saw, no, Christ really is at the center of it all. That's not just a name that they check on a box. They really are serious about following Jesus of Nazareth. What would we look like if those things were true? Well, I've been trying to give some language to that. And I want to encourage you here to pull out this half-folded sheet. And you'll notice at the top of this, it says draft. This is just a draft so far. But what I'm trying to do, and what many of us are trying to do, we're working on this, is to try to say, okay, after eight years of learning a lot of lessons about what it means to be the family, what it means to be Emmanuel, God with us, what are some of the words now that we can start to put down on paper and say, this is God's vision for us? What does it mean for us right here as this localized version of the kingdom of God? What does it look like? And next week, I want to talk about some of these words and why some of these words are in this draft so far. But what I'm struck with as we, as we start to bring this thing to a, a close here today is what if we could live this out? What if we could really become a family like this? Could you imagine how different we would look? from the culture around us. If we as individuals followed Jesus and listened and loved as he taught us, and as a church we did these things, and as people began to see Christ really is at the center of it all, there's going to be people that are going to see that and they're going to get curious because there's a whole lot of folks who are longing for a family like that. They're longing for a family like that. It'd be kind of like something that happened um, about the time I wrote the post-it. It was March 23rd, and that might not ring a bell yet, but it might in a second when I describe what happened on March 23rd. March 23rd of this year, I'm sitting in my office, and I started to hear weather reports trickling in from people, from news feeds, all this kind of stuff, saying, snow apocalypse is coming today. March 23rd, 2016, you go buy a sled dog, you go stock up on canned goods because you're going to get buried under a mound of snow today. The snowstorm is coming. You guys, some of you remember this? March 23rd, 2016. You're done. You're going to get buried. Learn igloo skills, survival skills. It is going to be horrible. And they, they, the trucks started going. They were pre-treating the roads. They were, they were getting us ready for the snow apocalypse. 
And what happened in Shoreview? Nothing. I'm looking for snow apocalypse. I'm like, these yahoos, they, they don't know anything about weather and all that kind of stuff. Well, then I had to go outside for something, and I noticed there was one car in the parking lot that was covered in snow. I'm like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. No cars, no snow, not a flake on the ground. This car was covered in snow. Like, this is weird. And I got done with work, and I'm going home, and pass another car covered in snow. Some of you guys might have had this experience, too. I, I, I get home. Yeah, we share a, we shared a wall with the Jameson Law Office. Right? There was a car with the snow. So, so I go home, and Laura's like, yeah, I was working today at, down at, at, at Rosedale, and there was all this snow that came down. I'm like, well, Laura's not going to lie to me, so it must have been snow. And we went out to eat that night, and as we're driving closer to Roseville, more cars, more cars. The closer you got to ground zero, the more you began to see there must have been a snow event. And then Laura got a, a Facebook feed or something that came in from my sister in Lakeville. And there was a picture, 11 inches of snow in their backyard. Had it snowed? Yep. But it, I hadn't experienced it yet. See where I'm going with this? What if we were those snow-covered cars? And what if people in our offices and schools and teams, and what if people began to see that you're not the same in a lot of good ways. You're different. And then what if when they got closer to our gatherings, whether it's in your home or whether it's here at the church, what if they thought there's more of these snow-covered cars? And then what if when they walked into the Shoreview Community Center on Sunday mornings, that was Lakeville. Right? And they're like, hey, you all are that kind of crazy in those good ways. Do you think there might be some people who got curious to say, what's going on? And if they got curious and they met Jesus of Nazareth, not just heard about him, met him, we would have the honor of welcoming them home. The last thing I want to encourage you to write down is this. At Emmanuel, here's what we're about. We invite people to experience God with us. In all of our brokenness, all of our messiness, isn't that part of the whole beauty of the gospel, right? We're adopted, we're growing, we're becoming more like him. At Emmanuel, we invite people to experience God with us. We want to give you that opportunity right now as we gather around the Lord's table. Father, we seal this time. We ask you to do those things. We ask, Lord, even more. We ask that you would be so good as to bring to our hearts how to individualize that prayer. What would you have us to lay down? to you? What would you have us to pick up? How could we be your people and look more like those snow-covered cars in all the right ways? Teach us how we stand out in the right ways and not the wrong ones. Help us to be different, Father, as you were different. Amen.